0: I've never worked harder on a daily basis. I've never made less money than I ever have in my entire life, but I've never been more fulfilled in what I do. Welcome to the
1: Food Startups Podcast. You just need the packaging to shout off the shelf.
0: It's a different world when you actually think about adding value. But to be able to play now is definitely gonna require some new thinking out there. (laughs)
1: Hang out with us and learn how to grow your food business. Episode number 112. Inca T is on the show. What a cool person and company. It's really inspiring to me because he's a contrarian thinker. The whole business was founded on a trip against doctor's orders. A lot of the decisions that he's made, his execution has been against the ordinary steps that a lot of people would do, and he's considered and utilized tactics that other food startups are not doing. That's why I think there's so much to learn today and such a fun and cool story. I'm really happy to have met Ryan and also share his story with the amazing food startups audience. So please enjoy the show. he is a 20 year veteran in the marketing and sales industry with extensive experience delivering bottom line impact and accomplishments for nonprofit and corporate organizations through effective strategic marketing, new biz dev and relationship building. We'll talk about relationship building later in the show. Yeah, I mean he's just had a storied career, vast knowledge and proven success in you know, raising corporate funds, gifting and sponsorships, business solutions, And to be fair, Ryan's worked in the corporate world for a while, you can tell, because it it reads a lot like a resume. He's a very impressive guy, and his career experience includes key positions at various companies, including regional market manager for Living Social, which is, you know, an online marketplace. And he was a uh, senior recruiting manager at a Fortune 500 company, Robert Half International, and other jobs in the big Fortune 500 space or, or corporate space, which is so interesting because... You wouldn't think by reading that how interesting and adventurous of a guy he is. Not to say that everyone in the corporate world is boring. Just got to put that out there. But uh, in 2014, he uh, started a brand called Inca Tea, and it was on a trip on the Peruvian mountain trail with a Sherpa named Egger, and he introduced them to purple corn. I always say chicha morada, but it's really maíz morado. Uh, we'll definitely put some photos up. It's uh, I've seen it. Fresh in grocery stores, it's, it's amazing. It's actually purple corn. Uh, it's awesome. I don't know why they don't sell it fresh in the U.S. But anyway, it's a superfood, right? And it, it fights against a host of medical conditions. So he gets back from this trip, change, and he's like, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, even taking it on this climb, and we're talking high altitudes here. Bogota, where I'm coming from, is 7,800 feet. I believe this is going to be higher. So he gets back home, quits his job, cashes out his 401 a second mortgage on the home. And he goes all in. So this was not like we've, talk, we've had episodes before where people are like, oh, well, I had the side business and I grew it. I think he just had some drive, jokingly saying maybe it was a midlife crisis. I don't know. But he just went all in. And yeah, now they're in Bed Bath & Beyond. They're in Whole Foods. And he's also a very philanthropic person, a lot of philanthropic initiatives, American Heart Association, Safe Kid Foundation, and the Cleveland Arctic Plunge and also Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. So it's interesting too, because this is our second Ohio guest. We had the Peaceful Fruits, Evan, and uh, he's also a native of the Cleveland area and he's in Parma, Ohio. Um, he also likes soccer, skiing, and water sports. And in one article he's been referred to as a wiry, Robert Downey junior lookalike. <laughs> he is the founder of Inca Tea. Yeah. Ryan Florio, thanks for letting me read out that long introduction of you.
0: Yeah, hey, no problem. I appreciate it. (laughs) So Ryan, uh, how's everything going? It's going really well, man. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Yeah. So do you ever get called Robert Downey Jr.? It's funny. I I do every once in a while, depending on how I do my hair. My hair has a lot to do with the whole overall look, but I do get that quite often, which out of most celebrities, I'm okay with that. Especially his, his, his nowadays. I mean, back in his drunken stuber days, I, I wouldn't want to be called Robert Downey Jr., but he's actually a class act now. <laughs>
1: cool. Yeah, it's true. I always feel for the people that have the name like Charlie Manson or like Aaron Hernandez, who have like these infamous names. And then yeah, right. uh, it's funny, <laughs> one of my customs brokers in LA that helps us import fruit, his name is Aaron Hernandez. And I was like, and he's like, yeah, this is Aaron Hernandez. And I, he's like, dude, I know. I wish it could have been like any other NFL player, not the guy that... Uh, you know, killed uh, 10 people. But uh, yeah, right. So yeah, overall, I think you made out okay. Yeah,
0: right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and and Ryan, just like talking to you this morning and and reading about you, like, I want to know, like, growing up in Ohio, what was your childhood like? Uh, what were you interested in?
0: Yeah, mean, Ohio has this stigma alongside of it as a place where there's a lot of cattle and open fields. But you know, growing up in a suburb of Cleveland, it's quite the contrary. And I was a big soccer player growing up. So I played soccer all throughout grade school, high school. I played division one soccer in college. You know, I was on the junior Olympic team, traveled internationally. I mean I'm I've gone to over thirty-seven countries and counting. And I mean childhood was great here, but a lot of my family and friends always instilled a super strong and hard work ethic, which I'm thankful for today. And also just Really high morals and values, I think, here in the Midwest, and you can say that pretty strongly amongst all the states around Ohio. And I think that really gives us a lot of character. I mean, you can see it as you know the the Cleveland Cavaliers won their championship this past year, and just the outpour of support that Clevelanders had. I mean, there's 1.3 million people at a you know a parade, which is far more than any other professional sports team has ever had when they've uh, won a a national championship. So it just kind of really goes back to the roots of, of how people are, are raised and brought up here in the, the Cleveland area.
1: Yeah. And I mentioned this before as well with LeBron James and then also Evan from Peaceful Fruits. I like the Cleveland Pride. Yeah, It was funny. There was like the, like the Drew Carey show. Uh, it was in Cleveland as well. I remember like the Cleveland rock song. It's kind of playing in my head right now. But uh, but there's something there about the Midwest and, and values. My mom grew up in Omaha and I grew up on the East Coast and it's so easy. And this is not all, so don't judge all of us, Ryan, but some people on the East Coast and West Coast think like the United States is literally just the East Coast and West Coast. And it's a huge <laughs> ignorance because, um, and I know you won't take offense, offense to that because you're, like you're like a fun-loving guy, but yeah. it's it's really ignorance on their part. You know, I was just in Kansas City, which I think is awesome. There's definitely something, and I've been to Grand Rapids, Michigan, like the the family values that are instilled there, I see it at a higher rate than I do, honestly, on where I grew up and on the East Coast.
0: Yeah, it's true. And like I said, it's nothing to take away from everybody else around the country, but it's, yeah, people here in the Midwest are just a great group of people, which I'm I'm proud to say I'm from Cleveland. I mean, it's funny everybody's like, "Hey, would you ever move out of Cleveland or, or continue your operations in a in a bigger market?" And hey, I'll never leave here. Just the, the support that we get from a a local standpoint has been above and beyond anything I could have ever ever imagined before.
1: Right on. And so I'm sure a lot of things happened. Like so. Uh, you had an like amazing soccer career. And then when you graduated from Miami University in Oxford, and wow, you just jogged my memory, Oxford Coffee Roasters, uh, Robert Thurston, who's like maybe like the most yep. world-renowned historian on coffee, was also on the show. He was one of our first episodes. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Man. Have you ever been there?
0: No, I haven't. I've always wanted to go, but no, I haven't been there. Yeah,
1: and maybe... Uh, online. I don't know if Robert listens to this, but I, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you can get Inca tea in there.
0: That'd be great. <laughs>
1: I'll be happy to put you guys in touch after the show. Thanks. Okay. So you finished college at uh, Miami university of Ohio and, and it's been about, you know, like 19, 20 years. You know, we just did more of a, a corporate summary, but you spent most of your time in the corporate world and then, then helping out charities. What are some other highlights that I, that I didn't cover?
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I've been very fortunate. I've worked for some really big companies, both Fortune 100 and 500 companies. I've had that opportunity to work for startups as well, both Living Social and Groupon, or which were powerhouses in the daily deal sector. So I, I had that that rare chance to really see how these big organizations work, as well as these small infant startup companies work. And I consider myself lucky because I, I really took all those things that I've learned in both cases and put them together to start what I have now Inca T. You know, I traveled a lot. Um, you know, after college, I did what most people do, and I you try to get a job to make your family and friends proud of you for what you've, you know, done the last four and a half years in school and show them that your education didn't go to waste. But at an early sense, I knew that at the end of the day it wasn't for me. Working in the cubicle, working for quote unquote the man, making someone else a lot of money just really wasn't in my cards. And I've been a serial entrepreneur my entire life and I've tried a dozen different business ideas, some of which have been successful monetarily, but even the ones that weren't successful monetarily, I I still took away a really positive, you know, educational piece from my, from my trials and tribulations. And, you know, it's really gotten me to where I'm at today with Inquity.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So I guess that's something I didn't mention in the profile. So what were some of the businesses you started in
0: the earlier years? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the the first big ones that I did, it was a it was called Kuli Mon, K-U-L-I hyphen M-O-N. It was, yeah, I called it for a cool monitor. And this is going back in the days where computer monitors weren't flat screens. They were big, ugly, boring gray boxes that sat on your computer. And heavy. They're yeah. really heavy. Yeah, so, so heavy. And when I worked in the corporate environment, I would see a lot of the office lady staff trying to decorate their computer monitors by putting like sticky notes on there, by putting like little stuffed animals on there, by you know, trying to dress it up somehow, some way, like cutting out a flower and, and taping it on their monitor. So I thought what better way than to actually dress up your monitor by putting a piece of cloth that was cut to the dimensions of a specific monitor. And we fastened fastened it with an elastic strap in the back. And this way you can dress up your monitor in different fabrics and textiles and colors whether jean material with a pocket on the side that you can put your pens and, and pencils in, or a daisy type of fabric. I mean, we had hundreds of different styles and colors to shoes from. Literally, wouldn't you know, a year later, the flat monitor comes out <laughs> and kind of changed the landscape of, of computer monitors. That was a, a fun one when I first started. Also started a, a company called Special Client. We did post-consumer, third-party customer follow-up for the mortgage industry, insurance industry, car industry. So hypothetically, when a mortgage broker closed a loan, their whole thought process was to go out and and captivate a new client. But it was 10 times easier to retain that existing client and hopefully get that client to either refinance down the road or buy a second property. So what we did is we did post-closing follow-up gifts. We would send out a a nice thank-you letter on behalf of the mortgage broker, with trigger point postcards every three, four, five months, whatever you wanted. You know, There's different packages that a broker can choose from. We would send out a, a really nice gift to the, the uh, customer along with birthday cards, anniversary cards, just to really keep that mortgage broker in front of that client for the life of the loan. So if that client were, like I said, ever refinance or buy a second home, the first person they would call would be that mortgage broker. So th- those are just some of the very few things that I've started. But you know, I'm sure as most entrepreneurs, as kids, you cut grass and you try to sell ice cream, you know, or a lemonade stand on the street. Shovel snow. Yeah, yeah, you suffer snow. I, mean, I would sweep, I would broom uh, one of my neighbor's garages out once a month for like five bucks, and now that lady, she's 65 years old, she works for me at my cafe. <laughs> wow. So uh, it all it all goes around in full circle.
1: Yeah, I, I, lo- I love the, when that happens, and especially when you're in a conversation, you're like. And with the very same airline that you work for whatever type of thing that, that ties it together, I, I think that's awesome. And yeah. so let's uh, let's move into Inca Tea. And just to close out the last part of the conversation, I'll have sure. just two comments here. One is so there actually was a lot of entrepreneurial spirit and activities that went on before this because I, I was originally under the impression that you just kind of like left the corporate world in full like gung-ho into this. But you had always had the entrepreneurial edge and had businesses before but uh, the second thing is, you mentioned that you worked for Groupon. And to me, I, I still don't, okay, it's hindsight's 2020, to be fair. Yep. But I remember they turned down an offer. It was somewhere around $6 billion from Google. Were you at the company at that time?
0: Yeah, it was funny. I was at both companies. I was the 28th person hired at Living Social, and I watched it grow to about 5,000 employees. So that that whole growth process was unbelievable. So I was there during the seed funding from Amazon. Amazon gave Living Social almost $400 million, and so that really catapulted us into the next stratosphere. And then I got recruited by Groupon because I had so much knowledge from Living Social and I was able to grow the, the Cleveland market into a, a powerhouse in the in the daily deal sector. And I was there at Groupon as well when they had a big offering. And it's in hindsight, I mean the the daily deal space, it was it was ingenious. It was a great way for local businesses to really market their product or service without any upfront money. At the end of the day, and I think the reason why these sites are really no longer talked about like they once were, you know, four or five years ago, it's because it truly hurt the small businessman. And, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those things where I think it was worth trying once or twice, but at the end of the day, it just didn't make sense financially for these small businesses to start giving away these great deals and making, literally a quarter of what they would normally make on a purchase.
1: Great analysis. And it was just to me, it was like Groupon turned that down, right? I mean, so they, they didn't get sold. Yeah, and, crazy. And uh, well, listeners, if you ever have a billion dollar company and you get offered a billion dollars, I'd highly recommend selling. Take it. Uh, but uh, I mean, hey, Snapchat, yeah. they turned it down Take and, and they're, uh, they're still growing from Facebook. They were like 24, like some kids, like 24, 25 years old. But uh, that's always stuck out to me as an interesting lesson And obviously, it doesn't have to be billions. It could be millions. Cool. So inka t Every
0: every entrepreneur should have a number in their mind at which they would sell at. And if you you get that number, you sell it. Don't be greedy because a lot of people get burned at the end of the day. Totally.
1: It's easy to get greedy. And it it could happen to me. I think it could happen to anyone in the sense that like not just your ego, but you just see the excitement. You feel it emotionally. You're like, man, this keeps growing. It it can't go down. And this is just kind of just human biases that we have to kind of counteract against. But Ryan, I want to move in to Inca This is what you started. You're on a hike with your friends uh, in, in Machu Picchu. And uh, was it something where you're like camping at night? You're like around the fire. You're like, man, I need to turn this into a business. Or was it on the plane back to Ohio? When did you exactly get this idea?
0: Well, four years ago, I had a, a, an awesome opportunity to travel to Peru and hike the Inca Trail with my two best friends. I have a lot of physical health problems. I've had both my knees done and my back operated on. And so my doctors told me I probably shouldn't do this hike because if something were to happen to me in the middle of the Andes, rescue is near impossible. Cell service doesn't exist. And to get out of that that you know, that trail, it could be two, three-day hike on back of horseback. So being a little stubborn and wanting to spend this this really cool opportunity with my friends, I decided to go anyways. Literally the first day of our hike, our Sherpa over an open fire boiled some water. He threw in purple corn. Some cinnamon cloves, apples, and pineapples, and started boiling boiling this concoction. Yeah, I was laughing with my friends because I'm a picky eater. I, I like pasta, meat, potatoes, pizza, candy here and there. So the fact that this guy was boiling water and putting corn and all these fruits and vegetables in and spices, it, it kind of piqued my interest and kind of scared me at the same time. So we asked Edgar, who was our Sherpa, you know, what it was, and he explained to us that it was an old ancient Incan tea recipe. He's like, you know, you must try it, it's really good. So you know, all jokes aside, he poured this concoction into our glasses and it was this beautiful deep purple color. I took a sip and fell in love with it right away. You know, we had our little water tablets that we that we brought with us just to purify the water from the streams or rivers to put in our water bottles every day. I asked Edgar, I'm like, hey, is there any way that we can make this a few times a day, like during our you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner, that we can fill our water bottles up. And that way we know at least the water was boiled, probably won't get sick from the from the, the water from that point forward. And it actually tasted really good. And he was like, Yeah, no problem. So we ended up drinking this for the next 10 days. Literally, I mean, I probably drank a gallon and a half of this every single day. And I never felt better physically in my entire life, which I was rather surprised from. And I, and I didn't know if it was from this, you know, what they call Chicha morada, or was it just because I was as high on life because I just, you know, had this great opportunity to travel down the Peru and, and hike the Inca Trail in the Andes Mountains. But when I came back to the States, I Googled purple corn because you always hear about food products being made with blue corn, for instance, like blue corn chips you see in grocery stores everywhere, but never purple corn, or at least back four years ago. And the first thing that popped up on Google was a doctor down at Ohio State University that's dedicated her entire career studying purple corn. And she is literally the world expert in purple corn. And she's in charge of the food and science lab at OSU, which is one of the biggest and best in the world. And her studies over the last 20 years have shown that purple corn helps with joint inflammation, diabetes and weight loss, helps prevent certain cancerous cells, great for your cardiovascular system, has more antioxidants than any other fruit or vegetable in the market, and rebuilds collagen in the skin. And I was like, wow, if it helps with joint inflammation, this is exactly why I felt so great during my 10-day hike, and I have a lot of joint problems. After reading her studies, two weeks later, I literally quit my job, cashed in my 401k, and ended up taking a second mortgage on my house and my parents' house and started Inca Tea in my parents' kitchen two and a half years ago. That's
1: amazing. And I, uh, I really admire how you, the famous quote by Hunter Thompson, just kind of buy the ticket, take the ride. Life is short, yeah. right? And like sometimes the doctor said, hey, you shouldn't go, or whatever, but you just went and did it, and that changed your life. So I, I really admire
0: that. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it did. It changed my life for the better. It's yeah, I love what I do every day because I, I, in turn, change people's lives. You know, whether I give them a great product to drink or a new tea to try or I even captivate people who don't even drink tea because my tea has such a, a great flavor profile, more so than most teas in the market. And it also has a lot of extra health benefits that have you know helped a lot of people out in the past you know, two and a half years. That's awesome.
1: After the call, I'm going to order some of this for uh, my dad because he's a diabetic. Oh, yeah. And my mom kind of likes this type of stuff. I want to go into something that you mentioned earlier, and it's the airport kiosk. Yeah. That stood out to me when I looked at that. And so tell me kind of how the idea came about and how it's changed your company.
0: Yeah, sure. So I launched T February 10th, 2014. And you know, I didn't have any investors. You know, I was using minimal money to get everything up and going. And my goal was to be in 50 stores within the first year of business. Uh, within the first two months, I was in over 100 stores and counting. And I always try to think outside that box on how to market. And since I didn't have any capital or any investors, I was thinking, instead of doing the traditional marketing and advertising, yeah, you know, I wasn't gonna do any kind of online deals like Living Social and Group on just because the margins weren't there. I was thinking how I can spend what little money I had and have the biggest impact. And it was funny, a buddy of mine works at the airport. He's in charge of all the retail space there. He called me up one day and he's like, "Hey." we'd love to have you open up a, a tea cafe in the airport. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, I have, I've never I've never worked in a retail space to begin with. And <laughs> you know, I, I don't have the money to, to, to build out a cafe. And, and man, then I gotta hire employees. I, I just I, I thought I was taking on a whole new animal. Yeah. I sat back and thought about it for a second. I'm like, wow, if, if I were to spend, let's just say $20,000 a year in marketing, how can I get that money back? How can I really gauge on whether or not that marketing campaign truly worked. It's hard to have those filters in any kind of marketing. And I called him back a few weeks later, I'm like, you piqued my interest, like, what, what's the rent like? And I'm thinking it's gonna be like $5,000 a month, like something crazy, right? He gave me the price for the rent, and I was like, I can make that work. You know, $1,000 a month for a little small kiosk. I mean, it's only 50 square feet, it's not that big. But $1,000 a month is like having a, a true billboard inside an airport where millions of people walk past every year. I mean, even if I made $0 every month, to me, paying a $1,000 a month to have that billboard made sense.
1: Oh, I love that. And think of it just like people that arrive late, right? And they, and you're just like walking tired or like airplane delays, right? These things happen. You're just walking around the airport and it's like 11 PM, your cafe's closed, but you still, they're still getting that look at Inca Tea Cafe. That's a great way to look at it.
0: Yeah. And like everything else I do at my business, you know, you know, like my boxes are made from hundred percent post recycled consumer material printed with soy ink. My cafe, I wanted it to be so unique and different than anything else out there. So I literally, I, I made my cafe with recycled pallet wood. And it is so eye-catching. We, I mean, I get compliments on a weekly basis from travelers all over the world that email me saying that they're so happy they ran into Inca Tea Cafe because it, it like kind of like, refresh their spirit about traveling because you know when, when you travel there's usually a lot of junk food in food courts and whatnot there's not a lot of healthy options and i made sure that not only did i transcend my brand message to the cafe but i also sell a lot of really good only locally sourced products to give that traveler a sense of what cleveland has to offer from a food standpoint so when i opened up inca T, february 10 2014 literally nine months later i opened up my cafe at the airport so a lot of things happened within those first nine months of being in business and yeah i wasn't sure how the the cafe was going to go but two months into it i knew it was a home run success just from the amount of revenue that we generated the amount of exposure that we got and it, it was really easy to see that you know when i first started inca T the first, I'm gonna say, first 12 months of business, my online sales were about $1,900. And I only sold product to people in six different states, which I thought was huge. I'm like, wow, people from six different states are hearing about Inca Tea, and I made a little bit of money online, which is awesome. After opening up the cafe at the airport that following year, um, I did about $30,000 in online sales. I sold product to people in 42 states in seven countries. So. It literally opened up the window of opportunity for people to try my product, and once they try it, like I said, yeah, you know, I mean, I have a great conversion rate. People that will that will become lifelong customers after they try it once. You've had chicha before, and it's such a unique taste that I offer with the whole purple corn aspect. And you know, my goal is to start opening up more of these cafes, and you know, I just finalize all my documentation to franchise the concept as well, which I think could be a whole nother. A whole other animal so
1: it seems like the Inca tea cafe on its own is profitable
0: it is yeah 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 actually we' we are profitable if I broke even at the end of the day I would consider that a, a huge success even if I lost a little money every month just to have that live billboard every day but yeah we're making money and it's it's to the point where I, I've had a lot of interest from people all over the place that have asked about opening up franchises and at, at that time I, I wasn't even contemplating that but I, I met with a franchise attorney last year and had all the documentations drafted up to do that now it's just a matter of, I'm, I'm working right now with somebody to open up the for the first franchise. So hopefully that'll be open up within the next 30 to 45 days, which will be, uh, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be a great new revenue stream for Inca Tea, but it'll be also a great, you know, additional marketing platform that people will, will have an opportunity to see and, and experience.
1: Fantastic. And then you're not just at the whim of the buyer at Whole Foods or whatever retailer. You have online, um, you have like storefronts that's so kind of diversifying like your your, your points of sale. Yeah. And now, now Ryan, a question for you. So, uh, and listeners, this episode can be found at foodstartupspodcast.com slash Inca T I N C A T E A. You have what, like six, six or seven flavors, right? And, um, how do you develop the flavors? Do you have someone that helps you to do that?
0: Yeah. So when I first started, I mean, after I returned from my hike, I spent about 20 months or so doing the whole research and development process, you know, aspect of the company. I hired a local herbalist and she sat with me for several months. We met once once a week for several months and she taught me the art of blending spices and herbs. And we would literally make chicha on my stove every week and we would sit there and sip it and try to replicate and re-engineer that liquid format into a four ounce tea bag. And it, it was Quite a challenge, because traditional chicha does have a considerable amount of sugar in there. All of my teas are no sugar added, no artificial flavoring or coloring. So I try to get something as close as I possibly could in that four ounce tea bag. And I didn't want to launch with just one product skew. I, I thought I'd be you know shooting myself in the foot. So my goal was to launch with six. And after uh, that herbalist helped me master that one, I would just sit in my kitchen and play with different teas spices, herbs, and fruits, and put together blends that I personally liked. Because believe it or not, I never had a cup of tea in my entire life until I drank Chicha Morada, which is that herbal tea in in Peru. And I figured I would be the harshest customer when trying to convince somebody to drink tea. So if I liked the flavor profiling of of a certain blend, I gave it my thumbs up. The only one that I, I really had help with was my green tea with ginger and coconut. I had two college interns last year that had to, had to do a, a piece for their, their class and for their internship, and we spent a week in my kitchen, and us three guys, we just sat there and, and put together hundreds and hundreds of different profiles, and we came up with this one with a green tea and ginger and coconut, and it was, I tell you, it's it's the perfect blend of, of those three components, and it also has the purple corn in right it. Right on,
1: and uh, do you think you can get the same flavor in the box tea that you can from the loose tea, uh, you mean the bottle tea? So to take a step back, I usually buy a loose leaf tea um, as opposed to like bag tea. Oh yeah. Sometimes I find when I buy like green tea or black tea or poor tea, it's also you know it's a, probably a better value. You have to have the tea strainer and stuff. When I buy like the the loose leaf, I can get a little bit more flavor. How have you How do you see that with yours? concerns like the bag versus the uh, the loose leaf option?
0: Yes. Yeah, so when I originally launched, I only did the the bag option. I just last month uh released my loose leaf tea tins they're super cool tins one of a kind and um i mean it is the exact same tea in those tins that are in the bags but like you said you can can kind of control your dosage if you're doing loose leaf so i have recommendations on on the back of the tin as far as how many ounces you should put in your tea ball or your you know a tea bag and that will give you the same flavor profile but Loose tea can be a little bit different because you can you can add more or less tea inside your actual cup. But I mean I, I think they're I think they're the same because my tea bags are much fuller than traditional tea bags. Most tea bags are about two grams in weight. My tea bags are four grams in weight. So I I put a half the amount of ingredients in a tea bag because I want the consumer to have an amazing experience drinking my cup of tea. That's awesome.
1: I uh, two more questions before you finishing up here. The first is Okay, you mentioned in an interview, and, and I don't know if, um, you know if you've changed your mind, but I, I'm curious, do you still want to go on, I know you got, we were a finalist before, do you still want to go on Shark Tank? What are you thinking about in terms of investment versus self-funding? Like, I basically staying self-funded as opposed to adding investment.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm at that point now where I, I do need an influx in capital. I personally have only sold, like me personally, going out, knocking on doors, trying to get into new new businesses, I've probably done that only 20 days in the last two and a half years. And every time I go out and try to sell a new client, I've sold them. I, I haven't approached a grocery store or grocery store chain that has ever said no. Every one of them said have said yes. So I spend 95% of my time, actually probably 97% of my time, in my warehouse, stuffing boxes, doing all the customer service things, doing all the online orders, accounts payables, account receivables. I do everything, which I should do everything as, as, a, as a startup business and as a business owner, but my love for what I do is really going out there and having people try the product, selling the product, and trying to get it into more doors. And I can't do that unless I have more inventory and more backend support. And there's only so much you can sell fun. And you know the margins on tea aren't huge. I'm not selling cars, I'm selling a box of tea, and sometimes a box of tea can last a consumer you know, a week it can last them two months so it's not like bottled tea where you buy a bottle you drink it in one sitting and then you have to go out and buy another bottle or you buy a six pack and you can drink the whole six pack in a day a box of tea can sometimes last people quite a long time so you know every dime i make i'm putting back into the business to, to buy more inventory and i've been able to grow uh because of that but to really take it to the next level and and make this into the company that I know it can be, I, I do need to get that, that investment. So going on Shark Tank, I would do it for the exposure, for the guidance, and just overall help from what one of those sharks can, can truly provide. But if I can even get a, uh, a loan from somebody, I, I, would, I would do a, a low interest loan, maybe a convertible debt, something like that. I did, I mean, I spent the last 10 months putting together my business plan. You know, I'm trying to raise between two and $3 million right now. So I can take it to the
1: next level. Okay, Ryan, fantastic. I appreciate the analysis there. To finish up here, last question. Okay, so amazing story. Looking back on this, you have a lot of entrepreneurship experience. You have a lot of sales experience. For listeners that either have like a beginning stage food startup or are kind of on the cusp, they want to to launch. What advice do you have for them? Some things that you've learned throwing
0: yourself into the fire? I mean, the, the biggest thing is believe in what you're doing. No matter what people say or try to discourage you, you have to just keep fighting for what you believe, and good things will come from just that. Throughout my entire life, because I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs, and I think people inherently, even though they will say they want to see people succeed, you know, they don't want people to succeed, and you'll get a lot of people that may be negative, but man, at the end of the day, you just have to truly be happy with what you're doing, and you know, I finally found my passion And I think most entrepreneurs have to try several things and fail at some of those things in order to really learn about what it is they need to do in life. This is the first time I can honestly say that I've never worked harder on a daily basis. I've never made less money than I ever have in my entire life. But I've never been more fulfilled in what I do. And, And that transcends on a daily operation for me. And people, they see my passion, they see my love, they see the the willingness I am to, to really make this a success because I love what I do every day and, and, and nobody can ever take that away from you. In this day and age, there's a lot of haters out there and whatnot, man. But if you love what you do, it nothing will ever matter with what people say or, or do to try to, to try to bring you down, which Man, that's my biggest advice is just really follow your dreams and and, and have that passion for what you you love to do.
1: Wow. And and this episode, you talk the talk, but you also walk the walk. And I want to say two things. One is I tend to find when you're doing, I'll say any type of of artistic project, right? It doesn't necessarily need to be entrepreneur. You could say, uh, I'm going to start a band or write a, a novel, These types of projects, you tend to get that same type of hater. And I don't know, I don't think it's ill will most of the time. A lot of times is when you tell someone you're doing something like this and you're kind of following your dreams, it scares them on a subconscious or maybe conscious level. It's like, man, what am I doing? I'm not following my dreams. So I need to like kind of bring other people down there trying to do that. So I don't feel bad that I'm not fulfilling my personal dreams. I've kind of seen that psychological thing go on a couple of times before. And I, I want to also recommend a book, if you haven't read it, uh, Ryan, and listeners as well, this is like, everyone should read this book. I mean, everyone. It's called yeah. The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Not The Art of War, uh, which is by Sun Tzu, but The War of Art. And it talks about this and and the mindset. It's a beautiful book. I've probably read it uh, 10 to 15 times in English and Spanish. I have the Spanish copies down here in Colombia, and I give it to people when I meet someone that I think could, could benefit from it. But uh, that kind of goes into a little bit of what you were talking about. In kind of just the, the, yeah, the war of, of making great art or, or starting a business. But Ryan, thank you so much for coming on to the show. You can get in contact with him at INCATEA.com, uh, INCATEA.com. Yeah, Ryan, is that the best place on the website for people to reach out to you?
0: Yeah, you know I have one of those contact us tabs and you just fill out the inquiry form and be in a, uh, a business where there's only one. Everything comes to me. So I respond to everybody with, with, within usually 24 hours. And I still to this day, every time I have someone order a product online, I literally handwrite a thank you note to everybody. Even if it's somebody who has a monthly subscription, I'll, I'll handwrite a, a new and exciting note for that person each month. So just those little touches, I think, go a long way with people.
1: That's a great nugget of advice to end with, like the handwritten thank you note. Especially today, with everything being digital, handwritten notes are more powerful today than they were 20 years ago uh, for that same reason. Yeah, thank you so much, and I'd love to have you
0: on in the future as your franchise and uh, Inca Tea grows. Thanks, man, my pleasure. Whenever you need me on, let me know.
1: Hey guys, thanks so much for listening and as always if you have any questions or comments find us online at foodstartupspodcast.com